0: Welcome to the Allen and Overy Podcast. My name is Tim Conduit. I'm a London-based partner in A&O's International Capital Markets Practice. And joining me today to discuss why sustainability has become one of the most pressing issues facing the global financial services industry and what it means specifically for a bank, asset manager, and insurer are three eminent sustainability experts. Christian Lintz, Head of Corporate Responsibility and Corporate Historian at UBS. Duncan Lee, A Director of Investment, Environmental, Social and Governance Group Investment at the AIA Group, and Hui Tan, Global Head of Stewardship and Sustainable Investing at Fidelity International. Among the topics that we'll explore will be the evolving landscape for sustainable finance, the future of a net zero economy, and the role boards and senior management should play in moving industry in the right direction. So Christian, if I can start with you, Sustainability has become central to the global economy. How has the landscape evolved in the
1: last five years? Sure, and thanks for inviting me. Uh, let me take a date which is just outside the five years that you've highlighted, so 2015, so seven years. I think two interesting points around that date. Number one, you know, we at UBS did a paper in 2015, which I think is very telling in what's happened afterwards, which was really around how to make the SDGs the Sustainable Development Goals investable. I think that was a very important point. The SDGs came out, of course, officially on the 1st of January 2016. But I think it showed the direction of travel, which is, okay, let's not just talk about sustainability per se, but talk talk about what is the actual business case? You know, how do we make this relevant for clients? So I think that would be one. The other one, 2015, is, and I compare now 2015 to 2020, is the number of regulatory developments because there was an increase pertaining to sustainability and finance of 210% in those five years, 2015 to 2020. So I'd say that's another one, which I would describe as we're moving from a kind of a freestyle in inverted commas approach and the way that we looked at sustainability to something that is becoming more and more compulsory to use sort of the uh, Winter Olympics kind of language of sustainability here.
0: Thanks very much. And Jen, from, from your perspective, how has it affected your business?
2: It's affected us in you know a variety of, of a variety of different ways. I guess if I can step back a little bit, taking a shorter time frame from what Christian just spoke of, the last two years in particular since the pandemic has seen a very sharp acceleration in the interest around sustainability. So yes, the foundations were being put in place beforehand, but it's really in the last two years it's exploded into the consciousness of the mainstream. Of finance. And that, although it feels very obvious now, was not actually that obvious in retrospect. There was a view that ESG was a bit of a bull market phenomenon, a nice to have, you know, one that would disappear when the going got tough. But actually, the exact opposite has happened. We face this global crisis. And what this crisis has reminded all of us is the importance of being resilient and being sustainable and managing assets for the long term. And one of the most important shifts I think that's happened is this movement from shareholder capitalism to what people are now calling stakeholder capitalism. I'd like to spend a little bit, just a few minutes to talk about, look, why is this different from what it was before? And Why is it something that mainstream investors should really care about? So to me, what this shift really represents is a shift in the view around what constitutes a long-term driver of value creation. How can we create genuine longevity in businesses at a time when we know that corporate life cycles and management tenures are structurally on the decline? And that includes things like the role of employees. So not just as human capital inputs, as we might have thought them, but now around considerations around welfare, around inclusion as well, around suppliers. So the failure of supply chains has now been clearly exposed as both an operational and reputational risk and also around customers. Most businesses don't need to be told to focus on their customers. I think that that phenomenon does come naturally. But there is a process on educating customers on how to manage their demand in a sustainable way. And you can see that rising in some of the industries that we look at, whether it's around fast fashion or automobiles, you can see that surfacing consumer consciousness already.
0: I mean, maybe to turn from the questions that you, you've been discussing around, and I think the the theme that Christian brought out about making the sustainable development goals investable, and then that the, the Jen, that you, you brought out about how to make this a long-term driver of value, and in fact, what are the long-term drivers of value? Maybe Duncan, Many CEOs in the finance industry have said they believe that the future growth of their business is going to be largely determined by their ability to anticipate and navigate the ships to a low-carbon and clean technology economy. In order to successfully capitalise on those opportunities, what do you think the role of the board and the senior management should be in implementing that transition?
3: Thank you for the invite. It all starts with uh, robust governance. At AIA, we take the view that governance underpins good corporate behaviour, and as Jen Uh, mentioned earlier about stakeholder capitalism, more and more stakeholders, um, not just shareholders, but increasingly regulators and other investors are also expecting companies to take a greater role in the transition. And for us, it starts all from the top. There is more and more. uh, You're seeing the setup of uh, sustainability committees and uh, dedicated sustainability officers. But these need to be accountable and Accompanying this um, development is also robust governance structures and accountability. So it all starts from the top. If you're talking about embedding ESG culture and also strategy and transition and important decisions that the companies are making, then this all needs to be um, owned ultimately by the board and the senior management. Um, culture can only uh, pervade if it's seen by the uh, managed by everyone. That the senior management and the board are not only owning it, they're overseeing it,
2: and are also accountable by it as well. If I can just just add to that point, Tim, and just reinforce a point that that Duncan made. You know, th- the reality is that transition is a long-term shift, but we know that it needs to start now. But we also know that given the reality of management tenure it is very unlikely that a management team that announces a bold net zero ambition or a target is going to be the management team that implements it in the future. And so really, when we think about assessing what it is that boards and management do today, it's not necessarily around their ability to execute, because that's going to take more time. than than they're probably going to have in in reality. It's going to be around what are the structures they're putting in place that ensure that that delivery is going to be embedded in the entire business going forward. And here, I think, is where looking beyond boards and, and senior management, investors have a really key role to play here as well, because ultimately, we need to help underpin and support the board in that. Um, and senior management in that movement. And what that means is from an investor's perspective, we need to dispense with this mindset around quarterly performance being the most important driver of value. We need to create longer-term relationships, not just be fundable pools of global capital that move restlessly from one business to another. I think we need to think about our investment process in a more genuinely long-term way.
1: It should really be about... GES, not ESG. I mean, I've always wondered why it's ESG, but maybe that's another discussion. Because without the G, it's a bit difficult to get to the E and S. You know, I mean, G is really front and center in achieving the kind of success that we hope to achieve. You know, in setting the right strategies, so all the points that Jen and Duncan highlighted, allocating capital instilling a spirit of seeking out opportunities in the transition that was just mentioned. All of those points is really the G. And I, I'm therefore a great fan of the uh, approach that was taken through the task force on plan-related financial disclosures, which really puts the G first. I mean, you know, how can you talk about S strategy, I mean, not a social, if you don't talk about G first? You know, So I think this is a critical piece and it really is, the, to me, the decisive piece to move the needle on the E and the S and everything else that relates to the, the wider sustainability.
0: I mean, taking elements of what each of you said, the appointment of Chief Sustainability Officers, the rise of that office that Duncan talked about, the need to look on a more long-term basis, which I think Jen has echoed through through a couple of things that he said, on the other hand, seeing the relentless march of the, of the of the drive for value, and then Christian talking about the fact that governance—you know—if we don't have governance, we don't have anything. I think, you know, how realistic is 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 this sea change, and how do you really see it happening? I mean, do, let's take Jen as, a, as as an example of what you said. Where does the sea change between the drive for quarterly value and the need to look beyond the current management's tenure come from?
2: Yeah, that's, I think, a really interesting question, Tim. You know, I think, you know, I've, we talked a lot about long term, but actually, let's briefly talk about the short term. Let's talk about this year, 2022, and what are the, ch- the challenges we see? Because really, what we see is quite significant dislocations potentially coming in both our finance system and our energy systems. The consensus that has supported global growth for 20 years now, low inflation, low inflation, and loose monetary policy is about to become significantly challenged by a rate of inflation that most of us have never seen in our lifetimes. I think we need to look back to the 1980s to really see this period of of price rises. and That's going to force a monetary policy response that will increase the risks of growth to our economy and at the same time what we're seeing is a very significant need to change our energy systems which is putting pressure on energy pricing which is driving that those inflationary pressures as well and loss of confidence in that a cost of living crisis in ordinary citizens is going to test the faith of the public in the need for this energy transition so really not just thinking about kind of long term value but how as a society do we bridge this period where we where we know these challenges are going to be front and center how do we manage the decline and changes in the pattern of use around fossil fuels but also at the same time ensure that society and consumers especially the lower um income cons- consumer groups how they are going to be protected from those um, challenges that the transition brings, and that I think is going to determine our genuine future outlook when it comes to how we deal with climate change.
0: Let's maybe move on to another aspect of that question. I mean, I think all of those pressures and and a, and we all understand that that you're right inflation, the need to change sources of energy, the different interest rate dynamic all are coming together in 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 what appears to be a bit of a perfect storm at the moment. We looked at how the landscape has evolved in the last five years, and maybe with Jen almost looking over the precipice for us, what does sustainability mean for the financial services sector in the next five years, taking into account what, what's
1: what's just been said? Um, Christian, what's what's your view on that? I think in, in in the sort of most positive view, it's a massive opportunity, as I highlighted before. I mean, I think, you know, there's been a lot of discussion about how, you know, financial services firms, you know, can differentiate themselves among each other. I think sustainability is one key factor in that. But I think it comes back to the points that were made by Jen and Duncan, you know, so ultimately it, it will work if you really embed what I would call thinking and acting with a long term in mind. In, in really everything that that a financial services firm does, you know, so I think. The points that were made early on are really critical in, in in all of that, which is the cultural change, but also the external environment in how this is moving. I mean, what I notice now, a very interesting phenomenon, I, I feel, you know, because I've, I've you know I've been involved in, in in this work for now nearly 19 years, and um, I think there was always the the the, the notion, you know, uh, that banks, you know, and I can now speak for banks because I work for a bank, um, that banks seem to be somewhat behind the sort of developments that we see around society. And the environment. What I see now is actually, and particularly in the discussions that I, you know, that I'm involved in, and and, and the discussions that our management is involved in, and in the associations that we're in, is that often, you know, we are sort of feel ahead of the curve. And this is not boasting, you know. It really is, you know, a reflection of what's been happening over the past years, you know, where companies like ours have embedded this kind of thinking in their products and services in their risk management and so on and the governance of course we've talked about more broadly so i think there is a real new foundation that's been formed in the past years you know that will serve as an as an important basis for the next 5 years into really making sure that in the interactions with our clients in the collaboration with our clients we can really help to move the needle, you know, when it comes to the sustainability challenges that we see. Thanks very
0: much for that. I mean, Duncan, for, from your perspective, sitting at this tipping point as we are, how do you think it's going to manifest itself in, in AIA's business?
3: Well, um, it's a very good question. I, um, and I think um, Christian and uh, Jen's organizations are, are much further along their sustainability journey than uh a lot of asset um, owners, such as AIA, but also other um, companies as well. And to reiterate what uh, Christian is saying, that there is a lot of value that the banks and the um, asset managers can bring in helping their clients raise either awareness or get on those sustainability journeys. It's about planning for the long term. The companies and asset owners have to start because um, their investors and um, stakeholders demand it. But not only that, but um, because these companies uh, require financing, that if the providers of those of the capital assess the resilience of the business model in those companies and determine that the resilience isn't there for the longer term, then they won't allocate their capital to those companies. So it's for a multitude of reasons that companies uh, need to embed the sustainability into, uh, into their business models. And they need help in that. And that's where the banks, the asset um, managers can come in. And it's also to raise awareness amongst uh, the wider financial services, different segments of the financial services sectors as well. Even even amongst the regulated sectors, uh, insurance being one of them, it's probably fair to say that even within the regulators and on the regulated side as well, that it's somewhat lagging behind the banking and uh, asset management um, sectors. So, the firms need help, and they they uh, the companies should be stepping forward to um, offer those help. As we know, they already are. We've had lots of um, interactions with uh, banks and um, asset managers, helping helping to uh, offer their perspectives and um, share their experience. All of which is very very valuable.
0: You talked about the insurance sector potentially being you know behind asset managers and banks, Christian. Given that you work for a bank that's headquartered in Europe and The EU has been very active, and I realize you work for a Swiss bank, but the EU has been very active in in regulating in this this sector. How much of the change is being driven by regulation, or is it the other way around? Is is the regulation being driven by institutional change?
1: Interesting one. (laughs) uh, I'd say there's been institutional change first. You know, when I go back, um, you know, be even before the, the time frame we used at the beginning, if I go back 10 years, to be frank, there was very little government interest in what was happening in a space such as sustainable finance. I mean, we we were shaping the definitions so that we could actually be transparent to our clients what we mean when we talk about it. We reported on that. We followed up on that every year. Um, and evolved the whole thing uh, accordingly uh, over the years, and you know you can you can trace that, or anybody can trace that, just looking at the reporting that we did over those years. I think what's happened is that um, governments have clearly realised, understandably, that this space has evolved so massively, you know, and that is, of course, a, a potential or important lever in how to move the needle over the coming years. That, of course, this has um, been. Um, Accordingly, uh, increasingly regulated over the past years. I think what's interesting is, of course, the speed as, at, at, at which this is coming. A colleague of mine once told me he's, he's been in regulation, regulatory matters for a long time, you know, that he's never ever seen something happening at the speed that he sees now with sustainability in finance. You know, the, the speed of regulation is kind of enormous. And I think, you know, even though the, you made the point about Europe, I mean, you know, look around you. I mean, it's happening. All around the globe, I don't know what the latest tally is, but I think we're now talking about 16, 17 sustainable finance taxonomies or similar, either already being put in place or being evolved around the globe. So clearly, there is a lot of focus on that. I think the the next years will tell us, you know, to what extent and how this is going to shape the transition. That I think particularly Jen um, highlighted. Earlier on, you know, um, and I think coming back to my earlier point about freestyle versus compulsory, you know, from a sports perspective, I hope that there will still be enough of that freestyle element, you know, because I think what we definitely need in that transition is a lot of innovation and more innovation, creativity around the whole space. So I think there's got to be a kind of a balance that we need to find over the coming years between yes on the one hand the need to to regulate the need to shape this from a government perspective but at the same time also to have the space for what i would call uh, creativity you know that we need to keep um, moving in this particularly important space
2: if i can add to christians w- very well made points i think i think he's exactly right i think what's what's happened actually is that the sustainability has become quite fundamental to finance a societal license to operate. It is now part of how we earn the trust of our customers, the communities, the suppliers in all of the worlds, in the markets in which which we operate. But I think the challenge now is what level of sustainability integration is going to manifest itself in quite different ways in different organizations. And I think the challenge is no longer around the why should you? But the challenge is now around the, how are you going to do it? And I think about sustainability integration in three different levels, if you like. So the first level being around basic compliance with regulation. You know, and if, to me, that's important, every organization needs to be compliant. But if that's all sustainability is, then we're not going to achieve a lot, right? We, we're all very accomplished at complying with regulation. On some point, if you want to change the way your business operates, you need to elevate sustainability into the business strategy of the organization itself. You have to be thinking about your purpose as a business and how your purpose serves a broader goal than simply the generation of profit, how you can serve the customers in a more genuine, long-term way. And then I think the final shift that we need to think about, and this is, I think, where sustainability is now, that precipice, is around how do you move from changing a business strategy of an organization to changing the system itself and making the system more sustainable? And here I think there are two important shifts that the finance community is making and will continue to make over the next Let's call it three to five years. The first is from a move from what we have called financial materiality. So looking at issues that are financially material to the companies that we invest in to what we now call double materiality. So looking at the impact of the companies that we invest or lend or do business with and what impact they have on the environment and on society and holding them in, a, in some sense accountable for that impact, irrespective of whether or not that presents financial risk today. The second core shift, I think, is that a lot of the sustainability conversation has been really focused on the supply side. It's about improving and transforming the energy system or improving the supply chains, how we manufacture things or how we make more efficient use of natural resources and so on. And at some point, regulators need to really square that circle with the demand side of things. How do you affect the behavior of end customers. And that is not a popular thing. No politician enjoys doing that. But that can take a number of different forms. It can take the form of providing more information to customers to make them more informed. So, for example, making the carbon footprint of the things that we buy part of a standardized set of product disclosures whenever you go and purchase something. That's one way of doing it. Direct or indirect tax That's another way of influencing consumer behavior or outright bans, outright changes. So you can see that, for example, in automobiles, you can see that in in housing infrastructure, you can change the, you can make certain things um, not viable and encourage therefore the move to sustainable products.
0: I think you've almost preempted my, my, my next question. So let me try and slightly reformulate where you got to and address it to Duncan and Christian So it it looks like we're sort of embarking on this journey, and Jen has talked about two specific shifts that the the finance community will need to make over the next three to five years. What does it take for the industry to go from where we are to where we want to be? And I think it would be good to have different perspectives on this. So, Duncan, from from AIA's perspective.
3: Yes, thank you. A lot needs to change, but this is what I was saying that... um, Companies are either starting on their journeys, um, so there's, they've got a long way to go. Some some will have a long way to go, some are more advanced than others um, in terms of making their business models um, more resilient. I echo what um, Jen and Christian were saying about um, companies moving to becoming purpose-led companies, serving the wider stakeholders. For us, it's about um, uh, our purposes, enabling our customers at AIA to live healthier, longer, better lives. But how do you embed that into your business strategy? There's a number of um, touch points that we will be implementing as part of that. We announced ESG strategy in March last year with a number of um, pillars underpinning that. But now we have to go and um, establish those um, those KPIs, those proof points, particularly um, on the insurance side, but also on the uh, investment side as well, since AIA is a very um, substantial Asset owner. But asset owners such as us, this is still relatively new for us, even though we've been integrating ESG into the investment processes for over a number of years. And we've embraced the best practice, such as um, uh, footprinting and disclosure in the sustainability reports. We've made a net zero uh, commitment as well. That was in December of last year, so December 2021 but a lot of other um, asset owners have also made that. But what does that actually mean in terms of uh, investment? How do we pivot our investment program to make sure that's a net zero aligned as a resilience uh, is continuing to be um, um, implemented? We do need help with that. And I see a number of um, areas where we could use that assistance and we are already having those conversations. There are the... um, Providers, so the banks and the um, and the asset managers who've been sharing their own, um, for example, net zero experiences, what it means, th- and we know the different approaches it can take, whether it's going to be a decarbonization or an engagement led approach. There are the collaborative frameworks and bodies such as the UNPRI and other um, other bodies that um, can help raise awareness, but also drive um, collaborative engagement, which means if. Companies are hearing about sustainability or climate change from Christian, Jen, and myself all at the same time rather than separately, then that amplifies the collective voice. There's also, um, we see a lot of advisors, advisory firms that are building up their expertise and sharing their insights too, consultancies, law firms... And also the big accounting firms as well, and don't forget a lot of this also has mirroring some of the uh, developments on the uh, ISSB um, side as well. PCAf has been there for a while, but um that hasn't always made its way into the thinking and uh, accounting standards that uh, are being set up in the in the, in the firms. so um, a lot of this is where companies such as AIA and others can benefit from the experience and collective wisdom of the other um, participants. And just also wanted to make one point on um, that Christian made on um, taxonomies. With SFDR in, in the EU, it impacts AIA as well, since we have a number of CCAF funds. But with SFDR and also some regional taxonomies, the MAS coming up with theirs as well, There's also a um, a somewhat uh, fraught tension at the uh, uh, asset owners level in terms of they need to comply with so many um, different taxonomies. That also presents a um, a challenge as well. And uh, obviously, this is not debating whether there should be one single global taxonomy, because that's probably a, a very different topic of conversation. But then as a company that is present in a number of different markets in Asia and also operating funds uh, out of Luxembourg, then there will be so many different um, frameworks, touch points that that we need to uh, address if we are to um, move our own business model forward as well. So a lot that uh, companies such as AIA can can benefit from the uh, collective wisdom of other financial sector uh, participants.
0: No, thank you very much. And that's a really comprehensive and, and, and cogent um, explanation. Maybe, Christian, as a final question, do you think banks have a particularly key
1: role in driving this change? I would put it like, actually, following on from Duncan's point, the one thing that immediately came to mind um, is one of the, the key elements, one of the focus themes of our sustainability strategy. I mean, we have three people, planet, and the third one, actually partnership. And I think just listening to Duncan, that immediately came to mind, be it, you know, of course, on the net zero side, you know, net zero banking alliance, net zero asset manager initiative, GFANs. So there are a number of examples where that shows, but also I think in particular, which is really critical, partnership with our clients. I think at the end of the day, particularly as a major wealth manager, uh, you know, it is really about um, you know mobilizing capital with them, you know, uh, together with our clients, you know, helping our clients to become better informed about their sustainability footprint. I mean, we are a, a bank. I mean, in Switzerland, for instance, we are a universal bank, so we have everything retail. Corporate clients, institutional clients, private clients, and I think you know smaller, medium-sized enterprises. And I think you know everybody is 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 working on this agenda. There are different points in this. So I think as a bank, it's a particularly you know I think interesting task to to put it like that. To help our clients with that, you know, to see what, for instance, on the climate topic, what are the transition options? To 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 come back to Jen's point about and, and, and really critical point about the transition, you know, what kind of products and opportunities should be should they be aware of? So I think this whole notion of partnership with uh, with various stakeholders, including you know, as I highlighted, our peers, is absolutely critical. This is a really, really complex landscape, you know, I mean, it, it, it used to look simpler, you know, I mean, we've been involved in sustainable finance activities for 25 years. I'm sure when people started the first, what was then called still a, you know, socially responsible investment product, you know, they thought, okay, wow, that's a huge achievement, you know, and I'm sure it was. But today, you know, when I look at all the different stakeholders that are involved in this, all the different expectations, the growing requirements. This is a cl- complex landscape. And that's why I feel the key word for us is help, support, assist, collaborate. You know, it's this partnership approach that is absolutely critical to help to move this forward. And, you know, it's it's core to me, again, to use Jen's point uh, around transition, it's core to transition. You know, I don't think that a single bank would, you know, be able to claim for itself that it can do that on its own, like any other financial services institution. This really has to be in collaboration with others. And I think that is hopefully going to be the key element, the key focus of the coming years in how we can do this together with others and in in, in view of the challenges that we actually all face together.
0: I think that's a very hopeful note to to finish on. And uh, I think if we take nothing else away from this discussion, I think the fact of you saying, Christian, that Well, it used to be simple. Now we have 16 or 17 global taxonomies, but yet ESG and sustainability has exploded into the global consciousness, as Jen said earlier, I think presents us with huge opportunities. And it's been a really interesting and stimulating discussion to have to see how you personally and your, and your respective organisations are, uh, are looking at those opportunities and, and looking at this, this economic and social tipping point at, at which we're at and seeing what the future will hold. So thank you very much to Christian Light, H- Head of Corporate Responsibility and Corporate Historian at UBS, Duncan Lee. Director of Investment and Environmental Governance Group Investment at the AIA Group, and Jen Hui Tan, Global Head of Stewardship and Sustainable Investing at Fidelity International. Thank you very much for your time today, and thank you for your contributions.